welcome into another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rick McClatchy, staff pastor at the Rocky Butte campus of Manor House in Portland, Oregon. And as we are making our way through the summer months with vacation and everything else, uh, I am here in this studio by myself getting ready to uh, launch you in actually to a session that comes from our All Church Leadership Summer Retreat on the topic of worship so deeply impacting that I just felt like it was necessary to share it with you today. We will be joining in progress Howard Roshinsky, who uh, back in the 80s was a worship pastor for Bible Temple at that time and has been a really a music industry professional for many, many years since then, the founder and president and CEO of CCLI, the Christian Copyright Licensing uh, Company. And so uh, really an honor to be able to hear from him. And I think you will really enjoy his insights. So we'll jump right in and I hope you have a great time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I go to be seated there and uh... We're just going to go into, this has been so powerful just this morning with uh, following with Gareth and Daryl and the whole theme with regard to, I think what Gareth had referenced about understanding how to walk, right foot, left foot, right foot, the framework of what we're talking about within us and going out uh, from us. And so uh, for just for this session here, I get the privilege of being able to talk about something that's pretty significant with regard to our own uh, roots, and that is to worship the one. What does it mean by worshiping the one? We're going to start with, uh, start with Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. And it's the account uh, we call the Mount Transfiguration. And it says that uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and his brother, led them up on high, a mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like, his, like sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him. We need to understand, and in worshiping the one, we need to know who we are to worship. We need to know why we worship. We need to know how we worship, worshiping the one. See, in the areas with regard to both Moses and Elijah, it'd be very easy to reference the law and spirit, the practical and the prophetic. But see, if we start digressing our attention to the practical or to the prophetic, and if we overemphasize those components, we begin to construct things that shouldn't be constructed. And that's what happened with Peter. Hey, I got a great idea. Let's construct something that is a focus for practical or the law. Or, or let's, let's construct something that's really the spirit and, and the prophetic. And, and God says, hold on a second here. He's going to use the word please. And we're going to see where that word please comes in a little bit later. But he said, this is my son. We must make sure we understand that we cannot create distraction from the presence of God nor should we be able to have detraction of the presence of God. We must have attraction to the presence of God. And that is in our DNA system. Now take a look at this report. We, uh, uh, CCLI, we worked together with uh, George Barner as well several years ago. And we did a church worship assessment. And this, 
listen to these statements that we found out with regard to churches in America. First of all, among Christian adults who regularly attend worship services, one-third said they had never experienced the presence of God. When Christian adults who regularly attend worship services were asked to explain in their own words what worship is, two-thirds had no idea or provided a vague or meaningless explanation that had no apparent connection to worship. Less than one-half of all Christian adults who regularly attend worship services describe worshiping God as one of the top priorities of their life. Only one out of every four Christian adults who regularly attend worship services describe worship as something we do for God. Most adults consider worship to be something that we undertake for personal benefit. Relatively few Christian adults who regularly attend, regularly, we're not talking about some one time, Christians who regularly attend worship services, they deem personal preparation for worship to be significant. Whereas 40% of the worship leaders and 30% of senior pastors deemed experiencing God's presence to be of significant interest, only 6% of Christian adults deem such. Now, I'm shocked by the 6%, but I'm blown away that 40% of worship leaders and 30% of our lead pastors, when Christian adults who regularly attend worship services were asked what the most important outcome of worship was, 21% of them said they did not no. And I love this quote by Terry Pratchett. If you do not know where you come from, then you don't know where you are. And if you don't know where you are, then you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you're probably going wrong. You see, there is something that has been so birthed in this house that is unique. It has been a special insight that we have the privilege of at this moment for this season in this society and with every generation to understand what are our worship roots. Now, you've heard about some of the story, the heritage we have. And the, the area of, of understanding some scripture, you see just before we get to the scripture here, that we know the story um, uh, that with, with Pastor Iverson and his family, and they inherited the church in 1961, the church that had a church split. I don't know, they had about 100 people or so, but, but there was something, and he was so hungry for God to do something in the city and in the church. And he became aware of something that was happening up in Vancouver, Canada. It was a church called Glad Tidings Temple. And it was Brian Holmes' great-grandfather, who was the pastor of the church, who actually had a special insight with regard to worship and the presence of God. And Pastor Iverson would bring his family up to Canada for his vacations just to be able to attend the service. I was 12 years old. I was in that church. I remember Pastor Iverson being uh, introduced, jet black hair, and with his girls in the, in the, in the, towards the back of the uh, auditorium there. But there was something that he saw that so impacted him, it became part of our root system. He saw unity. He saw that all the people were doing something together. He saw prayer was a significant uh, aspect of, 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 of the readiness of a congregation in meeting God, and he saw worship, everyone lifting hands, clapping, dancing, shouting, singing praise to God. It so impacted him that he said, I've got to get this down into the house. Now, Regisel would not leave on a weekend service. He would not. Sunday was for him. He's, but he finally got convinced with Dave Shock in, in uh, Long Beach to have a midweek service at our church to be able to speak on this thing that became our worship DNA, our worship, worship roots. And it was understanding what it was to be able to, 
praise the Lord together as a congregation. And that moment impacted our, our church. What were the scriptures that were involved here? God is a spirit. God is spirit. They worship him, must worship him in spirit and truth. Psalm 22.3, we're going to get referencing this. You are holy, you inhabit the praises of your people. If we want the presence of God to reside, be enthroned in and on us, there must be some type of outflow from us because he inhabits what we actually present and offer. And Hebrews 13.15, by him therefore let us offer up the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so there was something that so dynamically impacted our church in April of 1965 that this is the thing that actually has flown out and we are in this place to rediscover. What is that? How many here were even alive in 65? Come alive in 65. Look at this. That's amazing. What is it? We assume we know what it is that God's done. But here, take a look at this here. Um, the, the characteristics of our DNA with regard to worship, first of all, is participatory. It's participatory. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 to 9. Understand this. It says that you also, everybody say, you also. You also. Yeah, look to the person beside you. You also. You yeah. also. We are living stones. We're built up a spiritual house. And notice this, a holy priesthood. And in verse 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that you, say you, you, me, you, us, together. We are to proclaim the praises of him. The entire congregation was to be encouraged to express their adoration to the Lord physically, audibly, and wholeheartedly. You see, it is the congregation that is the priesthood, not the worship team. It's not about platform presentation. It's about people participation. Psalm 67 verse 5 says, Let all the people praise you. All the people praise you. In the Hebrew, it means all. In the Greek, it means all. In French, it's all. In German, it's all. In Chinese, it's all. It is all. All means all. There's something here that God deposited in us that was not from, well, we're out of time of worship. If you want to go ahead and sing, you can sing. If you don't want to sing, don't worry about singing. If you want to clap your hands, okay. But if you don't want to, no. If, if you want to lift your hand, uh, just, just do what you feel like. That is not the DNA of the house. Let all the people praise you. The second characteristic of our, of our worship was it was to be prophetic. There was to, to be an experience of hearing a quickened voice of God. God showed up. There was some type of evidence of expression. And it's not saying, well, you have to have a prophetic word or a prophetic song. It's, it's not the form. But when there's prophetic atmosphere, there's prophetic consequence. In Revelations chapter 19, verse 10, when John was in the spirit and he's having this mighty encounter and all the things he's saying, he got so overwhelmed that he fell down and he began to worship the person, the angel, that, that messenger that was there with him. And now listen, John was up on the Mount Transfiguration. He was ready to build another tabernacle for another form and another structure. And the guy said, don't you dare do that to me. John, you were up at that mountain. What did God say? Don't build a tabernacle that pertains to a person or a practicum. I want you to worship the Lord. Worship God. Why? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
there is a manifestation, there is an expression of Christ when we understand the principle of the prophetic. And the third one is it's to be powerful, powerful to encounter. Uh, there's a manifestation and the outflow of power in the house of God it could be deliverance, it could be freedom, it could be salvation, it could be healing. Uh, the whole realm of understanding that the hills, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the God. Well, Lord, so there's our journey, and we, through this time, we had wonderful expression of songs, and uh, we had some great and interesting songs, you know, then shall the virgin rejoice. Um, I got three kids, am I supposed to uh, sing this song? <laughs> we are the circumcision, which worship, uh, is this a man-only song, or <laughs> we go... We, we had so many things come <laughs> in, in the 19, uh, in, in 1950s, it was, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. And in the 1960s, we had, uh, this is the day, this is the day. And that, oh, it, it reaches to the highest mountain. And then we got into the 1970s, with my hands lifted up. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice, give thanks with a grateful. The songs of the 70s, and we got into the 80s. All hail King Jesus, majesty. Worship his majesty as the deer padded for. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate, celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Da 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 da. da. <laughs> shine, Jesus, shine. Our God is an awesome God. Lord, I lift your name on high. And then we got to the 90s. Shout to the Lord, all. Lord, I give you my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Come. Now is the time to worship. We get into the 2000s. Here I am to worship. Here I am. How great is our God. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. We go. The 2010s. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour your presence is heaven to me. We go on. It's pretty interesting about songs. In, in, in 1985, when we started a CCLI, the Star Praise, out of, out of the church here, churches were singing an average of 45 different songs per year. This year, churches reported in six months singing 22,000 songs. We're singing an average of 80 to 100 different songs per year with less services. In 2019, this year, 50% of the songs that were reported were songs sung by one church, one time. There's been such a significant shift of emphasis to the song. But listen, it's not about the song. It has never been about the song. It has been about the sound of worship. You see, songs don't produce the presence of God. The presence of God produces songs. So if that is where we have come from, where are we now and why are we where we are? I'd like to share with you four influencers of worship. Four influencers of worship. There's Mark again. 
Yep, there's Mark again, yeah. A.W. Tozer said this, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Our worship DNA must not become mutated or degenerative through popularism. There is a reason why God has deposited a DNA in us. There is a reason. But what happened? Well, the first thing was there was the uh, advent of the worship artist. In the 1960s and 1970s, worship became introduced in the Christian music industry through worship recordings, uh, David and Daryl Garrett, Scripture and Songs. The Praise album was, came next with Maranatha Music, a great move of God with Jesus, uh, Jesus Movement in California and began to flow out in worship. And Maranatha Music in the 1970s came out with uh, the Praise album series. And then in the, 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 these launchings were came, coming from a church, a God presence encounter moment, and that the outflow of that were these wonderful songs. And they were church initiated, not industry initiated. In the late 1970s, early 1980s, we were involved with a network called Zion Song, which is to be able to have a, an exchange of songs that were being birthed in our midst. And then in the mid-1980s, Integrity Music began their series, a Hosanna series, where they were able to distribute the songs that were being birthed in churches and to be able to help facilitate those to go out. In the late 1980s, mid-80s, 1980s, Vineyard Music Group, another one, church-based, began to have a flow of songs that began to touch churches around the world. And, and so th this outflow occurred. Something happened in the early 1990s. A worship uh, recording started this way. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome... And just that brief moment of recording altered the course of worship in churches. Because the focus was no longer then on the element of worship, it now became focusing on an artist. Instead of his presence, it was a person. It was a shift that occurred. Now, there's nothing wrong with having wonderful men and women of God that are having a gift as worship artists. Many of them, uh, most are, are, are friends with them. I've walked with them. I've eaten with them. I had dinner with them. We've talked together. There's, it's not a criticism of that. But here's what happened, the impact and influence with regard to church worship today. First of all, there was the worship uh, presentation. What happened was churches began to drastically alter how worship was going to be presented by what they saw being presented to them. Our platforms changed and musicians, instead of being considered as a support to worship, became the focus of worship and the focus for worship. And visual stimulation elements were added to have the lights and have the smoke and have the screens and have the pop and the zazz. It was, we're trying to create an atmosphere that we think would be more conducive to worship presentation. And sound on the platform began to change. Instead of sound with regard to having a support for congregational engagement, it was now sound from the platform so that people could enjoy what was being presented rather than being a participant of what we're doing together. Now you may say, well, Howard, I'm not sure you're really on that. You might be wet behind the ears. That's okay. When we all get to heaven, you can come up and apologize. <laughs> By the way, that's a Regley Zell quote. Where are you? That's a Regley Zell quote. Okay. So anyways, so this, it started to shift. There was a shift with regard to the presentation. There was also a shift with regard to the worship format. 
You see, there are two types of basic types of formats. There's the concert format. A concert format is where songs are presented independently. They're separate and distinct from each other, but it typically includes a song intro, the core of the song, a song closure, song intro, one, two, three, four, intro, song, closure, intro, song, closure. And that's all right. The essence of that, that's a concert format. There is also a medley format. The, 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 the format with medley format is the presenting of songs consecutively and fluidly, fluidly so that there wasn't the focus on the song itself, but it was understand they are to facilitate something. Now, the worship artist uses concert format because that's the most conducive for the presenting of what a concert is supposed to do. You see, the word amuse, we talked about muse. Muse means ponder, think. Amuse is stop, ponder, think. So there has been the effort to say, listen, we just want you to stop thinking, but let me just simply to you. Now, there's good because, see, worship uh, music and music has two, it's twofold. There's vertical and there's horizontal. Worship music is vertical music. You see, worship was never intended for you. Ooh. Worship was never intended to the person. I led worship for 30 years, and someone come and say, well, man, worship just really didn't do it for me today. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't, we weren't worshiping you. Did I just say that out loud? Oh, okay. The element of worship, now that we're, the concert format is fine because there's a time when we can be ministered to, which is great. But worship is to minister to God together. And so what we found is that churches began to say, well, let's do the worship concert format. And we began to utilize uh, corporate worship to be able to have this thing of start, song, stop. Start, song, stop. And what happens is the congregation is now having a confusion. Okay, now am I, am I, uh, is this my turn now or, or what? And, and it's now the focus of attention is on direction. Okay, what do you want me to do now? Rather than facilitate, <sighs> that's the medi format. So the, 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 the next realm is, is dealing with worship product, the utilization of worship product. 30 years ago, worship product was sparse. Today, uh, the, uh, the, the worship product is a major segment in the $1.5 billion Christian music industry. Wow. Now, those who are identified specifically as and for worship, that alone is over 24%. But also, when you start having the industry going, you have this hot artist, this star, hey, this is a great genre thing called worship. Why don't we have this guy do that, and we'll call it worship? And this guy hasn't got a clue what worship is, but man, I want to be part of it because we've got to drive sales. These are things that start happening. You see, the objective of worship product is a good objective. It's to promote each and every song individually through optimum quality of professional presentation. That is a great objective of worship product. 2001, I had a chance to go around the world, and I went right. I went from east to west. That's always the best way. You're going to travel around the world east to west. Go with the sun. So we were here on the Sunday morning when we introduced Israel Houghton's song, You Are Good. You are good all the time. 
I go to Australia the following Sunday. I'm in the church. They're introducing the song. You are good all the time. I go to Cape Town the following week and into a church in Cape Town. You are good all the time. I go to Cleveland, Tennessee the following week for a conference. You are good all the time. I come home on the that following Sunday, about four, three, four weeks. You are good all the time. And I thought, this is amazing. This is fantastic. A song birthed goes around the world 24-7 now. We're able to worship God. And then it hit me. I heard every song, presentation, and service exactly the same. We got to pick up Israel Holden's lick right in the middle there. And we began to imitate product rather than to apply the song to the DNA. You see, the objective of our corporate worship service is to lead people into encountering the presence of God. What is our DNA? It's not to provide the best, the platform for the best presentation of song. And then we've realized, okay, then if we've got to focus on that, that particular lick, which is a good lick, but what is it that God has birthed in you as musicians? What is it you, where is your DNA connect with how you're able to actually present? If the perfection of presentation detracts from the flow of worship, then adjustment needs to be made to the per perfection of presentation. Our worship DNA is not product imitation. Our worship DNA is presence application. We then see the worship artist song. Here's another influence. Worship artists, conferences, concerts, uh, the, the uh, internet, the, the, all the resources, uh, the, the whole element with regard to songs. You, see, worship songs are bifunctional. First of all, there is personal worship. Personal worship is where every believer is encouraged to individually develop an intimate relationship with the Lord. And there are dynamics of expression where worship songs are great accommodators for that. But it's pretty interesting because, see, worship, uh, personal worship is preference, is personal, is preference based. And it's based upon that which is in your uh, musicology set, which typically is established by the time you're 18 years old. What kind of music was really your hot sweet spot when you were 18 years old? That typically is the framework of where. You, when you're in that sweet spot, you can really connect. And it could be jazz, it could be classical, it could be rock, it could be gospel, it could be country music. Oh, no, that's an oxymoron. Country, no, no, I'm just kidding. You know. oh, sorry, Christian country music. See, Christian country. See, country music is you lose your car, you lose your wife, you lose your dog, you lose your job. Christian country music is your, your wife gets reconciled, uh, your dog uh, comes back, and you get a job. And, um, But there's a, it's, personal worship is preference-based. It's, 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 it's that which is just, man, this, it ministers to you. It allows you, it releases you to, to express yourself to the Lord. But corporate worship is a little bit different. You see, corporate worship is where we are encouraged together to wholeheartedly express adoration to the Lord. And it's the all component. Corporate worship is principle-based where there is a theology of our DNA that is applied in expression so we can, we can all experience and encounter and embrace the presence of the Lord. Not all worship songs are for corporate worship. And so worship songs are written to match and to highlight the skill and proficiency of that worship artist. And a worship artist song does have some distinctive attributes. And uh, first of all, you have song range. The worship artist song, the song range where the extent of pitch is that which is covered by the melody. 
But a worship artist, because they have an exceptional voice, an exceptional skill set, their dynamic range is very typically a third to the fifth higher than to a congregation in dynamic range. And so worship recordings are not made for the dynamic range of a congregation. They're made for the dynamic range of the worship artist. Now, the challenge is we have wonderful worship uh, uh, leaders who have a skill set that's very closely aligned to the worship artist. So it's no problem for worship leaders to be able to sing that song. But here's what happens. The congregation is there going, I'm in the lowest common denominator of musicology. And so uh, when we are in that, I'm either trying to sing now in a lower register, let me lift my voice and offer praise and... Or we're screeching unachievable notes. I love you! Or they're not singing at all. That's song range, and so we need to understand what is. I know my music team is, the worship team is going, come on, preach them, come on, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> so we're realizing that there's this thing about song range, we have to have a sensitivity too. Song complexity is another part. There's a profoundness in musicology that when musos get together, we just love. We just love to get into that. And did you just put a 13th in there and transition to a, 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 a bass and one, one suspended? That was cool. And we get into, but out of this, we start seeing worship artist songs that have the, I call it the unresolved fifth. Is this on? Okay, the unresolved fifth. And so you're, you're here and... No, it's not on. Okay. But an unresolved fifth is, hey, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead uh, Isaac. Stay there and, and get to the keyboard here. Uh, let's go ahead. Key of C. Key of C. Key of C. There's a key of C. That's called the bass, uh, the root chord, number one. Okay, go to four, F. And now go to G, the fifth. So now we're going to do C. I love you, Lord. I bless your name, F. I praise your name forever, G. You alone are. See, thank you. That's an unresolved fifth. It is so wonderful musically, and you hear that songs are now ending on the unresolved, and the congregation's going. Did we just finish? That's, that's complex. Okay, I, I got to get going. I got to keep going. Okay. <laughs> congregation proficiency. You see, a congregation's music proficiency is the lowest common denominator. It's very basic and it's unsophisticated. And a congregation is able to participate in worship with, with having two fundamental mandates. Number one is song memorability. It is the ability to remember lyrics and melody through the consecutive, repetitive singing of a song. And if 50% of the songs are being sung one time, what is happening? They were sitting to say, I just want to observe because I don't know if we're going to sing that again. And if we do sing it again, can I even sing it again? Now, there's nothing wrong with ballad. There's nothing wrong. And you say, well, man, it's really complex words. You have not read some of the hymns. I mean, we're talking six verses and you're going. So, but it is the ability to follow along. So if I go, Jack and Jill went up the to fetch a pill. What did, what did I just do there? You understand literary pattern in worship songs. A, B, A, B, or A, B, C, B, or A, A, C, D, C. Oh, that's a group. Sorry. Okay. Song memorability. 
The next one is song predictability. The ability to know in advance what the lyrics will be and where the melody will go. These are not, these are, these, these are factors. They're not impositions. But if I went, la, 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 how did you know? How did you know that? Did you go to school of music and get a degree? No, you see, it's understanding there's some basics that will help the congregation. This does not mean we dumb down our worship songs. It doesn't mean that at all. They're simply factors, but the worship artist song is not bringing a lot of those factors in. And that's why you can go through. We're doing a search trying to find it. We'll t- you'll understand this a little bit later. Entrance songs, we're going, wow, there's a dearth of, where are we going to find entrance songs? So you go to YouTube, millions and millions of songs. But what does it mean? We're trying to find some things that tie into our DNA. Okay, so there's a frustration that comes with a worship artist song. The congregation can start singing, well, I don't know the songs. We sing too many songs. I don't understand the songs you're saying. I can't sing the words of the beat. These songs are too hard. No, a lot of those things is possibly because we're trying to impose worship art to a congregation. And it's interesting because church reform, it was uh, started with only the platform new. The, the commoner did not understand Latin to English, you know, lift up your hands, noctipos extoliti, manus vistos. What? Praise the Lord, laudate dominum. What? We're trying to see how do we get something so we get the focus of attention off of it so that we can facilitate this. The fourth thing came out was worship technology. I love this statement. The church welcomes the technological progress and receives it with love for it's an indubitable fact that technological progress comes from God and therefore can and must lead to him. Great statement. Pope Pius XII in 1953. Some things don't change. Technology has had such a dynamic imprint with regard to our worship, but along with a positive, there's some collateral damage. Technology is now determining the progression of the service. Okay, you've got three minutes and 29 seconds at 70 beats per minute to do that song. That's it. What if God shows up? Okay, we'll give him 15 seconds. <laughs> Click tracks and, and loops, and, and we're trying to get into a preset. They, they can help with functionality, but they cannot limit our DNA. They must not hard set the things that are coming from the heart. Also, technology can detach a musician from the gifting. Can a drummer actually play drums without a click track? What happens? <laughs> Come on. See, these are wonderful aids for worship, but they cannot become residual delimiters to worship. The difference between excellence and perfection. Excellence is the quality of the spirit. Perfection is the quality of our skill. We must not let the focus of our perfection of skill override the excellence of his spirit. Okay. Now we're going to get to the meat. Lord help us. What is it then that our DNA is? We take a look at a couple of scriptures in the New Testament. We've heard this before. Remember what says that God said, Jesus, hear him. I'm pleased with him. He also talked about a pleased thing too. He said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who would do all my will. And in Acts chapter 15, it talks about again, I will rebuild again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. It's pretty interesting. David didn't have a tabernacle. 
So what is it we're talking about here? We're talking about principles, not patterns. Kevin Connor said this in the Tabernacle of David. How many have not read the Tabernacle of David book by Kevin Connor? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, I encourage you to read that book just to understand principles, not patterns. But he said this. This scripture, this answers so many questions pertaining to expression of worship in the church. Above all, it's given so many a scriptural foundation for the things which may be done in a New Testament church, local, a local order. Key principles. Now, there's something called due order of worship. See, David, a man after his own heart, he had an encounter in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 where I love the presence of God. I have a good intent. I want the presence of God, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which was typified the presence of God. I want to I have his presence in, in our midst. And he went about doing it. And you all know the story that one of his worship leaders, Uzzah, put his hand to the cart and was killed. Anybody want to be a worship leader? <laughs> and it really ticked David off. Good intent. So he had to talk to God. God said, listen, I'm going to tell you. And this is what David said in 1 Chronicles 15, 13. It says this. We didn't do it after the proper order. Hmm. Not restriction, but insight. Proper order is a Hebrew word, mishpat. That's where we get the, the phrase mosh pit. So mosh pit is in the Bible. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's a divine law. It, it, it is understanding the parameters. A train must have rails to be able to have progress. A river must have banks in order to have power and progression. We, we understand we need to know the rhythm and responsibilities of our relationship to, with, and in God. And that's what we're looking at with regard to when it says uh, in Psalm 50, verse 23, whoso offers praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright. Interesting wording there again. Those who appoint a course those who appoint a mode of conduct, I will show the salvation of God. There is a congruency and a correlation between our responsibility to praise him with our mode of praising him. And so we take a look at something that's pretty interesting. It's called the principle of precipitation. Take a look at this. This is in Job chapter 36, verse 27 and 28. It says, For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. This is the description of the water cycle, the principle of precipitation. There's evaporation, condensation, precipitation, and collection. The, the principle of precipitation, the water cycle, is a description of where our DNA is found in Psalm, in Psalm 22, verse 3. We take a look at praise going up, his presence coming down. Praise, habitation. Praise, habitation. And that's Psalm 22, 3. It's interesting. Zechariah chapter 14, 17 also said this. It shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. That's pretty interesting. That's not an interpret. That's simply an application of an understanding about what God has spoken to us. You see, God does not participate in praise. He responds to praise. And so there we see in this here, understanding something we call the worship service quadrant. The, this quadrant of our corporate gathering, our corporate worship is a schematic that it, it aligns the principles of worship 
as stated in Psalm 22.3 with the principles of the water cycle. There is something actually that is conducive and conductive in our gathering. The first one is entrance. 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 I'm going to take a look at, use an example of Hezekiah. Uh, Israel had 20 kings. All 20 kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. Judah had 20 kings. 12 did evil in the sight of the Lord. Six were partially good. They, they, did, they did that was right, but it goes, but, or nevertheless, they did not tear down something pertaining to worship. Only two kings in Judah had this statement. They did right in the eyes of the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 20, this is what it says about Hezekiah. It says that he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. And his great-grandson Josiah was the only other one. What is it that we see with regard to that? Well, if we take a look at 2 Chronicles 29 as a reflection of what Hezekiah saw about David's heart, the first thing is called entrance. Entrance is the joyful, pronounced commencement of proclaiming his praises. It's where the congregation participates in their physical identity and physical expression. There are 1,600 references to praise in the Old Testament. There are seven Hebrew words that are translated directly to the word, English word praise. There are 12 derivatives, Hebrew derivatives of expression on how you actually are to uh, express those, those, uh, those elements of, 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 uh, of praise and worship. And, and so here we see that Psalm 100 gives us an, ide- an understanding of what entrance really is. In this scripture alone, there are six specific Hebrew words that are used to describe what entrance is. It's talking about joy. I, I can't get into some of the most impacting ones. Simcha, it says that, that second one there says, uh, with gladness. The word gladness is not just a polite hangout. That, that, that word was a, such a powerful word in the Old Testament Next time we'll talk about that. Okay, so this here we see gives an idea that when we start, we start with something that is alive, it is active, it brings us in. These are not mandates. These are simply facilitators of understanding what it is in our, in our gathering to, to the Lord. The second one is, di- is the offering. The offering. Offering is where we focus on declaring our acknowledgement of devotion to and and love for God. The emphasis in the offering is something that is so special in an expression to God, who he is. Our love, he's holy, he's worthy. Honor, exalt, power. There's something in that type of element that in, it was called that the, that the congregation worshiped until the offering was finished. There was something there. And this is the engagement of something that we're referencing as the sacrifice of praise occurs in this moment. The sacrifice of praise in Jeremiah 33, 11, it says, uh, if you remember the scripture, it says the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bride, the, the voice of the bridegroom, the, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. Notice it says joy and gladness, bridegroom, bride, praise the Lord, all those things. And then there's a grammatical shift in that scripture. And it goes, and to those who bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about the elements of the Old Testament process, but it was to, to indicate this, 
There are times in the entrance where, yes, we're singing, clapping, dancing, rejoicing, shouting, but there is something that specifically changes to that we must understand what the sacrifice of praise is. Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise, and he gives the definition. To remove all doubt, it's don't bring a thousand cows. No. There is to be an expression from the fruit of our lips that gives thanks to his name. Psalm 54, verse 6 says, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name. That word phrase, freely sacrifice, is there is a spontaneous, voluntary expression that kills everything else. You see, spontaneous praise is you praise him because you feel like it. I feel like praising him. You got a job raised, you got a promotion, you got a bonus, you won the lottery and tithed to the church so we could build a Bible college or, or it's just all these things, come on. But something in the circumstance makes you want to praise him. And those are great, good times. What about when you don't want to praise him? As many times as Psalms talks about praise, there's a phrase that is mentioned more. And it's the phrase, I will. I will. You see, it is the killing of circumstance. It is the killing of conditions. It's the killing of the surroundings. It is the killings of distractions and detractions. And it is placing within you something that expresses your relationship to the Lord. That's the offering. Let me talk about the sacrifice of praise specifically. What is the sacrifice of praise? First of all, it's the lifting of the heart. Psalm 9.1, I will praise you with my whole heart. Psalm 86.12, I will praise you with all my heart. Lifting of the heart is the adoration, the devotion, the commitment. It's, it symbolizes the killing of pride and insecurity and fears and distractions. The lifting of the heart must be in the sacrifice of praise. The second one is, it is the, the, the lifting of the hands. Oh, sorry, I gave it, so I'm sorry, you want to go back to that? The lifting of the hands. The lifting of the hands. Lifting of hands is an acknowledgement. It's a respect. It's an honor. It's a surrender. It is the symbolizing our receptiveness to him, recognizing him. Psalm 63, 4, um, thus I will bless you while I live. I lift my hands in your name. Psalm 134, 2, lift your hands in the sanctuary. These are specific elements, uh, part of the sacrifice of praise. The third one is the lifting of the voice, which is thankfulness, gratefulness. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I can come up to Dylan here and go. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Dylan could be going, what are, you, what are you doing? I could say, well, I'm praising you. He says, no, no. You could be looking at me. You could be smiling. But you ain't praising me because there is something that has to be expressed audibly. The lifting of the voice. The third is the lifting of I'm sorry, the, th the lifting of the voice is I will greatly praise the Lord with my, with my mouth. Uh, make the voice of his praise to be heard. You see, when there is the lifting of voices together, it's not a song because the, 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 the element of the sacrifice of praise is this. Uh, it is the willful and collective vocal expression 
of thanksgiving, praise, and blessing to God. Willful and collective, and it's not scripted lyrically nor musically. That's a sacrifice of praise. Okay, we're good. Let's go on. Time's running out. Response. Response is the third element of our, of our gathering. Response is where we engage the intimacy of his presence. It's deep. It's personal. We take a look at Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. The, the element of drawing near. Psalm 99, 5 is interesting. Exalt the Lord and worship at his footstool. His footstool denoted, I am at a place to receive. At the feet of the, Jesus, they were at. To receive, there's a time when God speaks to us. There's, a, there's an experience of the ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a definite shift between offering and, pre, and response. You see, offering reflects our responsibility to God. But response is, reflects our relationship with God. Offering is our expression to him. Response is his expression to us. Offering occurs in his uh, court. It's a majestic authority. Response occurs in his chamber. It's loving intimacy. For, for, for lack of better, uh, not getting into the, the, just the aspects of these words, offering is praise and response is worship. Response is that opportunity for the emphasis on and greater engagement with our gospel-centered component. You see, presence-driven gospel-centered is not dichotomous. It's not contradictory. It's not conflicting. In the element of understanding where we are, you see, uh, uh, as I referenced, worship is not an evangelism tool, but evangelism is a worship consequence. Worship is not for the unbelievers, for God, but when we are in a healthy, presence-driven component, the Word of God gives a specific reference to what happens when presence in the house shows up to those who are not there. 1 Corinthians 14, 24, verse 25. Prophesy, an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all. He's convicted by all. The secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he worships God and reports that God is truly among us. I love what uh, Albert Barnes says about this. Here it means evidently that the man would be convicted or convinced of his error and of his sin. He would see that his his former opinions and practice had been wrong. He would see and acknowledge the force and truth of the Christian sentiments which should be uttered and would acknowledge the error of his former opinions and life. Why do we not begin our service with an altar call? We just like to welcome you, visitors. If you're here as a visitor, that's great. And if you'd like to get saved, why don't you just bow your head and close your eyes right now? Okay, now... God could do anything, but why is that? Yeah. It's because it is not. And we are becoming now smart. When, 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 when Jesus says, make yourself friends with the children of mammon, that's, that's, that's the word of God we're hearing here. How do we have friendship and relationship? And that's the intelligence. God is quickening our Christianity astuteness. But what is happening here is no one's going to get saved by how great I am. They're going to begin saved because they encounter Christ, the presence of God. And so here we're seeing that, that this is what's happening in a response moment. There's, there's a time when we see the word of God touches lives. We are there. They're broken. They're hurt. They're lost. They're alienated. They're, they're disoriented. With it. But it says when the presence of God is there, he will touch where they are. The final thing is resolve. Resolve. 
Resolve is where we affirm our completion in him. It's the amen of what happens in our gathering. It's the, it's the sigh of relief. It, it's a confession or declaration of what he's done, and it's acknowledging that. But it's also bifunctional as well, the resolve component. There's a transitional segment in our corporate gathering of worship to the word, because by the way, when you have this worship quadrant right, the word of God is powerful. It brings in what happened. Peter didn't speak before the Holy Spirit began. He spoke after the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brought people to a place where the word of God was effective. And, and so that's what's happened. If we want Pastor Mark to speak better and Pastor Walter and Pastor Daryl, it's not them necessarily going to every school of theology. It is us praising the Lord. And making sure God's presence here because that releases the word of God that are in those that are speaking. That's the worship service quarter. Resolve is a time when we're seeing, oh, God, you're so good. Now, by the way, if we take a look at this, this helps us in our worship department understanding what songs work together, by the way. So if you're starting with a resolve song, you kind of wonder, okay, what happened? Boy, did that get, really, get off the ground? Well, what happened? You, you, you want collection, but you haven't even had evaporation. Or what happens if we got a response song before we have an offering song, or we have an offering song after a result? What it is, there's, there is a divine order of understanding the fluidity of the presence of God. If we don't have a passion for our heritage, and if we don't, uh, come on, Isaac, if we don't convey a passion for our heritage to those we serve and serve with, we will cultivate a heritage of indifference to the generations that follow and regretfully perhaps our living might then have been in vain. Let it begin with us. Let it begin in us. Let it begin to us so that it can flow through us. Well, that concludes this episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, getting to hear from Howard Roshinsky, our worship pastor, uh, from back in the day in our Bible Temple days. So I hope you enjoyed this today. I hope it was beneficial to you. If you have any feedback or ideas of future episodes, you can contact us at rickm at manahouse.church or markd at manahouse.church. And we look forward to to continue to bring you great content in the days to come. With that, God bless you and have a wonderful day.